Wicked Curious Radio with Roxy's Wicker is a Patreon-supported podcast. Please go to patreon.com, Roxy's Wicker, for more information about the great benefits that you will find becoming a patron of this show. Thank you for your support. And a most gracious good evening to you, friends, fans, and fiends. It is I, your mystery maven, Roxy Zwicker, from New England Curiosities, coming to you with another episode of Wicked Curious Radio. I am so excited. I've been looking at the calendar, and I noticed that this year, the 4th of July, falls on a Monday. That means we have a long weekend ahead. And long weekends are made for exploring. So let's talk about some of the haunted places that you might want to go exploring this extended weekend. Trust me, you may come back a believer in spirits. But if this is the first time that you are joining me here at Wicked Curious, please know that I run a company called New England Curiosities based out of the historic and architecturally rich town of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And I would love to have you come and join me for a ghost tour. I've been doing them in the city for nearly 21 years, and I've been telling ghost stories professionally since 1994. So I am so thrilled that you have found us, and I can't wait to share some tales of the macabre with you. Now, our first story comes from a place that you can actually visit. And it's one of those places when you walk inside, you are like, who was this person that built this place? Who was this? And why is it so strange? And you look over your shoulder and you might have expect him to still be there. In fact, he is still there. He is buried right next to, and I cannot call it a house, but a beautiful castle. Now, of course, where might you find castles in New England? You're going to find them everywhere. They are all over the place. But this is a really special castle. And there's a lot of myth. There's a lot of superstition built right into the castle. And have you figured out which place we're talking about. We're going to be in Massachusetts for this story. We're going to be on the ocean for this incredible castle. And you definitely want to check this out. John Hayes Hammond Jr. was a true Renaissance man. He was inventive, imaginative, and most of all, resourceful. As a little boy, he visited Thomas Edison's laboratory with his wealthy father, the South African diamond mining magnate, John Hayes Hammond Sr. The young Hammond pestered Edison with so many questions that Edison took him under his wing and acted as his mentor. The two remained friends until Edison's death. Hammond would indeed follow in the inventor's prolific footsteps 
and become second to Edison himself in regards to finding the most invention patents ever filed. John Hayes Hammond Jr. had created over 800 inventions and he held 426 patents in the fields of radio, television, and radar. Hammond served on the board of RCA and did significant work on remote control via radio waves, earning him the title, the father of the remote control. Who knew, right? A passionate traveler, Hammond had a deep love of all things European and historic. In a letter to a friend, he wrote, For the last three days, I motored many miles through Europe. After traveling all day, I would arrive at my destination to see a church, a cathedral, a town hall, a scrap of Roman wall or viaduct, a coliseum or an ancient theater. It was always a piece of architecture that suddenly dissipated the obscurity of time and brought the living presence back of all ages. It is in the stones and in the wood that the personal record of man comes down to us. We call it atmosphere, this indescribable something that still haunts old monuments. You can read history, you can visit a hundred museums containing their handiwork, but nothing can reincarnate their spirit except to walk through rooms in which they have lived and through the scenes that were the background of their lives. It is a marvelous thing, this expression of human ideals in walls and windows. Hammond certainly expressed himself in the walls and windows of his New England home, a medieval style castle complete with a drawbridge, which he dubbed Abadiah Mare. It was built between 1926 and 1929 on a steep hill overlooking the Atlantic Ocean in Gloucester, Massachusetts. The castle is divided into four sections, each epitomizing a style in European architectural history, Romanesque, medieval, Gothic, and Renaissance. Some of the architectural details include a round library, a basement war room, and even an indoor pool with a life-size nude bronze statue of Hammond. The courtyard where the pool resides has a weather control system that was installed so Hammond could set it whenever he felt like swimming in the rain. The castle was an expression of all things Hammond loved and his behavior showed it. A joyous Hammond was known to leap cannonball style from a second story window into his courtyard pool. Fascinating artifacts can be found in Hammond's home, which is now a museum. There is 15th century skull of one of the mariners who sailed with none other than Christopher Columbus. So when I first saw this skull walking into his castle, it was amazing. You could just imagine this 500 year old skull with these cracks going across it. One eye socket was a little bit ajar and it was sitting in a metal box just staring back at you from the display case. Absolutely eerie, very gothic and very interesting. But let's continue. Hammond felt that he too was an explorer 
and that he should honor the spirit of an explorer who came before him by placing his skull in his home. How macabre. In some ways, he thought that he could connect with his spirit and gain inspiration. Hmm. There are relics around every corner of the castle that have unusual connections to the dead and the spirit world. There is a real marble sarcophagus of a child from second century Rome that is on display. Okay, can we just stop here for a minute? Where do you even find a second century sarcophagus of a child from Rome? I antique all the time. You know me. I'm always looking for the weird and unusual so I can bring it back to New England Curiosities and share it with you. But where do you find something like this? And how do you even get it here? And the child's still inside? Let's continue. All right. There are also ancient Roman tombstones within the stone walls that are thousands of years old. Can you imagine building your house out of ancient tombstones? So you build a stone wall and there's tombstones in that wall. All right, so above most of the innumerable doorways and many windows are hundreds of expressive gargoyles within the stonework. Now we know gargoyles traditionally were thought to be protective spirits, that as soon as the night fell, that they came awake and alive and they would fly about making sure that there was no danger, no intruders coming to this place. So imagine you're walking around, you're looking at this ancient sarcophagus, this old skull, all of these ancient gravestones there, all of this just happening as you're walking in someone's house. A labyrinth of hidden passageways and secret doors are hidden behind the looming walls of the castle. Some of the more massive doors in the castle are thousands of years old and were brought over from Europe. I mean, can you imagine, like, he must have had his own ship to bring all of this stuff over. I mean, just incredible. And if, you know, you are one of those people that believe in objects holding energy or having some sort of spirit attached to them. You know, there are some people that believe objects can be haunted and they can have some extra sort of story to tell. Can you imagine all of the stories from just all of these artifacts that we're describing? Each had its own fascinating history. Many of them were authentic medieval dungeon doors. Now, if there isn't anything creepier than a medieval dungeon door, come on, how amazing is that? Well, here, let's, you know, let's go into the sitting room and I'm just going to open up this, you know, medieval dungeon door down here. Now, how creepy is that? In fact, the castle has its very own dungeon tower, complete with a large collection of medieval weapons. I mean, come on. If you're going to have all of this stuff, you know that you're going to need at least to have some sort of dungeon tower, right? The Great Hall is one of the most impressive rooms in the castle, with its 60-foot ceiling and ornate stained glass window. At one side of the room is an incredible pipe organ with 8,200 pipes, the largest organ ever installed in a private home.
the Great Hall was one of Hammond's favorite places to entertain. In fact, he would often stage Shakespearean plays in the hall and invite people such as George Gerswin, Cole Porter, John D. Rockefeller, and Ethel and Lionor Barrymore. Hammond was an avid spiritualist who believed in the paranormal and seances were regularly held at the castle. So now can you imagine all this stuff brought from all over the world and he's having seances as well. Ah, so cool. He even conducted a number of psychic experiments at the castle with Eileen Garrett, one of the 20th century's most prestigious mediums and psychic researchers, a woman after my own heart, right? Hammond set out to prove that psychic energy really existed, and he also hoped to enhance it if possible. During one of the experiments at the castle, he constructed a Faraday cage to isolate Eileen. Faraday cages were designed in the 19th century to block electromagnetic waves so that undisturbed paranormal research could be conducted. According to local legend, it may have been during this experiment that a spot on the floor of the Great Hall was bleached out by psychic energies. Before John Hayes Hammond died in 1965, he had his burial tomb built. The tomb was designed in an ancient Aztec style. I mean, at this point, why not just go all the way, right? And it looked like another otherworldly artifact from antiquity when it was completed. Hammond liked to go outdoors and sit on top of the tomb on a regular basis and have lunch. Well, hey, listen, why not? You know what? You're eventually going to be there. You're going to be buried in this spot. So why not get acquainted to it and have lunch on your future grave? I mean, this place and this story just seems to have everything. He enjoyed bringing visitors out to tour the tomb before he died. And people were quite surprised to see that the locks to the tomb door were on the inside rather than the outside okay hold on here what is going on locks on the inside of the tomb instead of the outside was he planning on coming back out like what's going on here after him and death he was entombed as he wished along the border of his property however due to financial difficulties the organization that operates the castle had to sell the land where John was entombed back in 2008. John Hayes Hammond was disinterred from his tomb against his wishes. All right, so if you're looking for a reason for a place to be haunted, let's stop and think about this for a minute. He went to this great length to have this beautiful tomb made with all of this detail, and they sold the land in which he was originally entombed and moved him to someplace else, which I have visited his grave. So, all right. So John was disinterred from his tomb against his wishes and reinterred in the courtyard garden at the back of the castle. Some people believe that John's spirit has returned to the property as a black cat that roams the grounds. It was common knowledge that he wanted to be reincarnated as a cat as he was completely fascinated by them. Often he would take in cats that came onto his property. 
And when they died, he had them preserved in formaldehyde. Okay, so now more strange things for our spooky cabinet, right? So now he's collecting all these cats that, you know, passed away from natural causes. And he's, you know, figuring someday that he might come back as one. He even named one of his cats Boo. How cute is that? In fact, John originally was interred with some of his Siamese cat's remains. Well, you know, you don't want to be, you know, lonely in the afterlife, I guess. A stray cat once frequented the same stone bishop's chair that Hammond liked to sit in and smoke in. And guests touring the castle have reported feeling a small animal brush up against their legs. Ooh, spooky. Is it him? Ghost cat. Many who have visited Hammond's tomb have also claimed to have heard the muffled sounds of crying cats when no one is present. The fascinating circular library was one of Hammond's favorite places, and he spent a lot of time in there while he was alive. He owned an extensive collection of books on the occult and spirits. Many caretakers have reported finding these books left open and lying on the desk, carelessly thrown onto the couches and chairs. Disembodied voices are often heard in the library as well as throughout the rest of the castle. One of the spirits is believed to be that of Hammond's wife, Irene Fenton, whom he had secretly married in 1926. Irene was quite depressed in the great castle, and she gradually became reclusive and unhappy in the marriage. Irene was also an accomplished artist, and she painted the walls of her bedroom with colorful scenes of animals, trees, and flowers. Then she painted a wide railing over the scene to show how trapped she truly felt. How heartbreaking is this? Irene is often seen gazing out of a window of the Italian villa, villa that overlooks the indoor pool. So when I went in toward this room, if you can kind of imagine this beautiful countryside painting just taking up all of the walls, beautifully rendered. And then there was this railing painted a barrier between her and the world that was out there. The ghosts that wander the lonesome halls of the house turned museum make their presence known on a regular basis. A ghostly shadow man has often been seen in the organ loft. Now how phantom of the opera is this, right? Well, even when the door to the loft is closed and locked, he is still seen wandering about this strange place as a man in shadow. The pipe organ in the Great Hall has been known to mysteriously play itself as well. Now, if, if you've never heard a pipe organ, can you imagine you're walking through this grand castle and all of a sudden you hear it. comes the sounds of the pipe organ. Oh my God. The castle is often the setting for fairy tale weddings. These weddings are often attended by unknown and uninvited figures that circulate amongst the guests, vanishing when anyone tries to get close to them. And they have even shown up in wedding photographs. Oh, so let's take a look at my wedding album. Here's my brother-in-law. Here's my sister-in-law. Who's that in the back? 
no one that I invited to the party. Can you imagine? I mean, this place just has everything. Many people believe that there are two reasons why the castle and the grounds are so haunted. One theory is that Hammond's belief in spiritualism was so strong that he actually returned to prove that there is life beyond death. I mean, honestly, if you had the ability to do that, even just to come back for a moment to say, you know what? It's all true. There is life after death. Would you do it? So the theory is that Hammond did. What do you think about that? Others believe that since Hammond was disinterred and placed in a simple grave against his wishes, his spirit cannot rest. So, hmm, what do you think? What do you think? Do you think that that's him as a cat, as a ghost? I mean, there's, there's a little something to this guy because he was totally into it. I mean, that was his thing. Um, you know, spiritualism, contacting the dead, um, all of what was going on around the preparations for his burial. It's just incredible. So I find it to be quite intriguing, don't you? But there is, um, there's a drawbridge, there's a cliff, um, there's gardens, and they actually used to do a Renaissance fair there um, for several years, which was pretty fascinating to see everybody dressed up in Renaissance clothing, and I'm sure the spirits enjoyed it more than ever. So um, what are your thoughts about him and Castle? Um, located again in Gloucester, Massachusetts, which technically the, the little ville is called Magnolia. And it is just amazing. So if you have the opportunity to check out Hammond Castle, I cannot recommend it enough. It really is such an incredible place. And if you are looking for ghost stories, you definitely owe it to yourself. Now, there's a little bit of a homework lesson on our first story right now. So imagine this. Some years back, <laughs> uh, there was a band who was looking to film a music video. And not only were they looking for a cool place to film a music video, um, they were actually calling in none other than Lori Cabot from Salem, Massachusetts to do a ritual in this video. So your homework lesson for our first story tonight is to look up on YouTube when we're done tonight the video by Godsmack called Voodoo and that was actually filmed at Hammond Castle. According to production notes there were strange things that were going on during the filming of that video. Now again you know we weren't there so we don't know maybe they're just tall tales maybe they were truly experiencing something but knowing all that you know right now about John Hayes Hammond Jr. wouldn't it just make sense? What we're gonna do is a little story from Cape Cod. All right, so let's settle back in for this story. And we'll get really super spooky like we're sitting around the fire. Located on the quiet end of Route 6 in Truro, Massachusetts, is the Old North Cemetery, once known as the Burying Acre. 
Ooh, the burying acre. The cemetery's first burial took place in 1713, so well over 300 years ago. The sandy grounds are clear and wide open with very few trees or shrubs in the cemetery. The hill that the cemetery is on was known throughout the 18th and 19th century as the Hill of Storms. Can you imagine being buried on the Hill of Storms? So where's Aunt Bethany buried? Oh, she's buried on the Hill of Storms. But why is it called the Hill of Storms? And why is it haunted? All right. The townspeople had built their meeting house at the top of the hill, which had a splendid view looking down into the village. Deacon Collins was one of the men who helped to raise the meeting house, and he even helped split and to chop the wood. He always made sure that he sat in a position in the church where he could get a good view of all the parishioners so he could wake them up, dare them fall asleep during a sermon. So did you know that ministers back in the day used something called poking sticks? It was actually a long stick and they would walk up the aisles and if you fell asleep, they would poke you with the stick to make sure that you stayed awake. I mean, can you imagine? Hey, you over there, poke, poke, poke with the stick. All right. The deacon was always concerned with making sure that he transported the sacramental wine for the Sabbath. Time and time again, going to the meeting house, he oversaw the movement. At times, the old horse carrying it didn't move quickly enough for the deacon. He shouted and he flailed it as they trod up upon the hill. Often the deacon overexcited himself and his horse too, as he was always the first to arrive at the meeting house, far before any of the parishioners. One spring, the townsfolk of Truro had to deal with the sad return of a ship that had survived a calamity known as the Seven Ways Gale. The gale shifted the boat seven different ways against the tide, smashing the mast of the ship to pieces. The vessel was owned by a man named Henry Rich, and he had a young son, Silas, who was on board with him. Silas was well known and loved by the community, and he was forever telling everyone how he couldn't wait to take a voyage out at sea. So what do you think of this young Silas, hmm? Do you think there's gonna be some incident with him? What do you think of the seven ways, the seven ways gale? people were heartbroken when they learned poor Silas was tangled in the ship's rigging and dragged into the water during the storm. A wave threw him back on the boat, but the boy's head collided with the ship's great mast and he lost his memory. no longer was the same boy everyone had known. His speech and memory seemed slower, and he appeared sad and strangely moved when he walked. The asylums on the Lower Cape would not take the boy in, and he became a responsibility of the town. 
Silas was a good young man and he was liked by everyone. Sometimes he would be found sitting wandering in the dunes and the townsmen would have to walk him back home. He went to church every Sunday and sat quietly during the services and the townspeople seemed to have patience for the poor unfortunate boy and they always used gentle words with him. The following year, Deacon Collins was preparing materials needed for Sabbath services, and once again, he was in a rush. He worried that the Lord would look upon him in disfavor if he did not deliver the sermon on time. The deacon mounted his horse and showered kicks and blows against the nag to get her to move quickly. tired horse sped up the hill, but unfortunately slipped in the sand. The wine almost fell off the horse, and the deacon could barely hold on himself. Trying to regain control, he didn't see Silas directly in his path. The horse charged into the young boy and knocked him to the ground. The deacon was in such a frenzy that he almost didn't even notice what had just happened. The horse's hooves even nicked a few gravestones before it finally stopped in the cemetery. The deacon arrived at the meeting house early as usual. However, coming right after him were a few men of the town and they were carrying the body of Silas. The boy never opened his eyes again. The townspeople turned away from the deacon, unable to look at him. And the deacon himself realized what he had done. One of the good men of the town tried to speak to the crowd while the deacon took one last look at Silas and walked out of the meeting house. The townsfolk elected the good men as the new deacon and the former deacon Collins never attended another service. When he died, the deacon was buried upon the hill, as was Silas. And those who remember the story said that the impression of the horse's hooves never disappeared from the burial ground until the former deacon was dead. They said that his spirit could not rest in heaven and you can still see him in the burial ground on the first Sunday of the month when the moon is out at midnight. According to the story, he descends from heaven and rides through the hill of storms to visit Silas's grave. And there he prays all night until dawn when he rides his horse back to heaven. Evidence of his visit can be seen viewing the horseshoe marks on the ground. Well, what do you think of that story from Truro, Massachusetts, which is, of course, on Cape Cod. And if you haven't been to Cape Cod, they have so many ghost stories there. And, of course, Truro is on a part of the Cape that is known as the Old Cape. So, of course, you come on to the Cape and you're in the Lower Cape, then you're Mid-Cape. But the Old Cape is Truro, Wellfleet, Provincetown, Eastham. And there are some wild and woolly stories out there. So do you dare go take a look on the hill to see if the horse's hooves are there or perhaps the spirit of Silas and the old minister? I'll leave it for you to decide. I think I will share one of my stories that um, people often ask, has anything ever happened to you? And um, the Point of Graves is New Hampshire's oldest common burying ground. 
It dates back officially to 1671, although burials took place there as early as the 1650s. Um, it's a beautiful burying ground with lots of great old stones, you know, the skulls and crossbones and, you know, really creepy epitaphs, uh, you know, that all foreshadow death. You know, death was a big reality for people back in the day. And it's really reflected when you look at these old grim stones that it's not so much a gravestone with the image for the person that is buried there, that it's more a warning for the living that as you're to walk by those gravestones, you're to contemplate your own existence on earth. Were you being a good person? Were you following the teachings of the church? That that could be you that is buried there. So it was one of the places that not only did I love to go and tour, but I also just love to go on a nice day. You know, just wander around, take some pictures of the gravestones, sit on the bench, contemplate the existence of the dearly departed. Well, I gotta tell you, it was a beautiful August afternoon. It's absolutely beautiful. And while I'm there, I'm just taking pictures of the gravestones. And of course, next thing you know, I'm there taking pictures of the gravestones and go to walk away to take a picture of another stone. And the next thing that you know, I feel as if someone is reaching out and grabbing my shoulder. So I turn around to see if anybody's there. And it wasn't as if someone had just brushed by my shoulder, but clearly it was a hand on my shoulder. So I turn around and I look to see if anybody was there and there was nobody there. The only other person that was even remotely close to me was my husband and he was standing way over at the cemetery gate. So picture me now, I'm down there by the gravestone, looking around, clearly I was a little bit spooked. And I yell across the burial ground and I said, honey, honey, I think something touched me. In his effervescent response, he looks down to me and looks around and says back, there's nobody down there but you. So, of course, as you know, I've been into ghost stories my entire life, collecting ghost stories for as long as I can remember. You know what I did that afternoon? I ran out of the cemetery. I did. I ran out of the cemetery, through the gates, across the street, onto the sidewalk, and I was like, what the heck is that? Of course, once again, my brilliant husband comes over and he says, well, you know the cemetery is haunted. I'm like, yeah, but you know, nothing ever happens when I'm in there. Not until that day, I'll tell you. I figured, you know, well, it is haunted and, you know, a little something happened. So now every time I went to the barrel crown, I was a little bit on alert. I'm like, hmm, I wonder. Well, we were in there a short time later and there was a young girl. She was probably about eight years old. And we we're walking around and looking at all of the scary, you know, the skulls and the angels and it was dark. And I said to her mom, I said, you know, is she gonna be okay? Because it's a little spooky in here. And she says, why, of course, no, she loves old cemeteries. And I said to myself, I said, you know, where were you when I was eight and loved old cemeteries? Like nobody wanted to hang out in the old cemeteries with me. We're at one gravestone telling the story and looking at the carving of the skull and bones and the little girl walks away and she walks over 
to the stone that I had been at when I had had that weird experience. And she says, you know, she's very lonely and sad. I said, what? She's very lonely and sad. So the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, this is a little spooky. What is going on here? And of course, you know, I always think of, you're probably, hopefully you'll be with me on this. A movie, you know, where, do they know that they're dead? You know what movie I'm talking about, right? Does he know he's dead? Does Bruce Willis know he's dead? I had to stop and think about it. And I said, wait a minute. I have grown up with so many stories about children with imaginary friends, seeing spirits, and sometimes they're dismissed. But kids, I found, tend to just be open little channels that sometimes they can see and perceive things that sometimes us folk just kind of dismiss. There's a little, little bit of openness sometimes. So I didn't dismiss the story. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? I started to notice that as we got to the burial ground and we'd just be standing there at the gate waiting to go in, all of a sudden, someone in the group would say, hey, what's the story with that grave down there? And I'd be like, which grave? They're like, that one down there, I've got to go see it. Is it on the tour? And I'd be like, yeah, it's, it's on the tour. Have you been here before? No, but there's something about it. People would actually say, out of all the gravestones that are there, people would say that gravestone had called to them. So of course, it was happening quite a lot. And I soon realized that there's gotta be a little something going on here. So every once in a while, you know, some of the local ghost hunter groups will come by and ask if there's, a, you know, a place that we can go and check out. So they, you know, wanted to come down to the point of graves. So we went over to the grave and they brought a, a little ghost meter with them. And they said, all right, you know, can we put this down and see if we can communicate? And I said, sure. So they put the meter on the grave and they're like, all right, you know, well, if you're here, can you move the meter? So, all right, so you're thinking, you know, it's a meter, it's gonna light up or, you know, maybe it's gonna sound off with some sort of sound. So they put the meter on the grave and as soon as they asked, if you're here, can you move the meter? The meter didn't light up, it didn't make a sound, but what it actually did was flip over in front of everybody. And we were actually doing that while we were on a tour. Again, they had come down, wanted to see what we do on the tours, and that was quite a moment. We've had a lot of people take interesting photos there. I'll be walking through the streets of Portsmouth and someone will walk up and say, oh, point of graves, I've got a story for you. And I'm like, all right, so if everybody has a story about this burial ground, which again is well over 300 years old, it's in the old red light district, is there something really to it? And there's a lot of graves in there with amazing stories, but um, it really just seems to be one of those places that is you know, quintessential. It's small. It's not a huge burial ground. You can't drive through there. It's just a maybe an acre and a half at best. But when we go in there, I mean, we're in there for like an hour and a half and we still can't see everything because there's so many stories. So is there a, is there a great spooky burial ground near you somewhere? Um, I'm constantly, constantly 
out there looking for um, burial grounds. If you if you look at my um, Instagram, you'll see I'm I'm in a different burial ground almost every other day. Um, I actually just got back. I did um, the burial ground in Chelmsford, Massachusetts. I just posted a couple of uh, pictures this week from there. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was up in Bangor, Maine, and went to Mount Hope Cemetery, which is supposed to be quite haunted. Um, I checked out the locations uh, in the cemetery where they filmed Pet Cemetery and took a look at some of the most amazing graves there, strange uh, statuary, um, all sorts of really cool things. And um, wherever I go, I'm always looking for a, a cemetery or burial ground. And I'm never disappointed. Like, they always have a story or an intriguing grave or some kind of mystery that is out there. So, what will it be, dear listener? Have you chosen your destination? Perhaps it's Hammond Castle in Magnolia, Massachusetts. You want to walk the drawbridge and go inside and seek the mysterious chambers and the ghosts of the cat and John Hayes Hammond Jr.? Maybe you'll find yourself on Cape Cod seeking the Hill of Storms in Truro, Massachusetts. Or maybe I'll get lucky enough to have you join me here in the beautiful historic port city and we'll walk through the point of graves together and I'll introduce you to Elizabeth and the many spirits that inhabit this hallowed place. I truly appreciate you joining me for another edition of Wicked Curious. If you would like to find out more about New England Curiosities, just visit newenglandcuriosities.com. You can even subscribe to our newsletter there. For more of a visual connection, find me on Instagram at RoxyZW. So never fear, dear friends. I will be back with more stories real soon. So don't forget to subscribe. And for now, I will bid you a fond farewell and remind you to always stay spooky. Wicked Curious Radio with Roxy's Wicker is a Patreon-supported podcast. Please go to patreon.com, Roxy's Wicker, for more information about the great benefits that you will find becoming a patron of this show. Thank you for your support.